Hello, it's Andrew Harrison here introducing another glitter-covered bunker bonus from Labour Conference Week in Liverpool. Our away team of Jacob Jarvis and Chris Jones travelled to the world's greatest city to report on the spot for Oh God, What Now? And they got a little bit more than they could use. So here's a special edition of The Bunker, Jarvis' full interview with Walthamstow MP and friend of the podcast, Stella Creasy. Listen up for Stella's reaction to Keir Starmer's speech, her conference takeaways and her take on how a Labour government should get closer to Europe. I'm here with Stella Creasy, the Labour and Co-op MP for Waltham. So, Stella, how are you? How have you been at conference? I mean, it's been a nice vibe this year, hasn't it, let's say? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost strange because, obviously, in previous years, things have been quite tumultuous. To just have one that, like, runs as meant to, <laughs> you're almost like, oh, actually, we can do this. <laughs> Is that the weird thing that it's felt like, that just any sort of return to normal in politics actually feels quite unusual at the moment, doesn't it? So when we're talking about Labour being really bold, I mean, returning to something that felt like a status quo would feel quite bold in a way, wouldn't it? Just normal for people's lives. I think it's fair to say, especially after last week, when the kind of new heights of kind of just like, really, these people are in charge and they want to do what? Just being sensible and being people who have a plan and look like you might actually know how you do it. I mean, it's just it's surreal. Like, I, I keep watching the Tory party conference and thinking, is this a Chris Morris send-up? And so, by contrast for us, in some ways, as I say, it just seems almost too good to be true that actually you can have ideas, you can set them out, and people can respond to them in a grown-up fashion. So we've just seen Keir Starmer speak, so obviously he's set out a fair few ideas there. One thing at the start, that protester that came on, is a bit of a, bit of a concern someone managed to get that close to him, luckily just glitter. You know, on that point, is that a bit of a worry? But then also, it allowed us to see a bit of Keir Starmer's personality, which has been a thing which people have wanted to see more of. So did it kind of, it worked in a little bit in that way, how he responded to it in a calm manner was quite, was quite good to see, wasn't it? Look, yeah, it was, I mean, Keir was an absolute trooper in how he managed the situation. I've got to say, I've lost two of my colleagues over the last couple of years to violence in politics, so you'll forgive all of us who are just heart in mouth whenever anything like that happens. Um, And I don't know what the person doing it thought they were going to achieve. Nobody actually understands what their protest was about. The fact that Keir was pretty unflappable, he did an entire speech, shirt rolled, sleeved up, and a little bit of glitter, so he looked sparkly. I mean, you know, actually... It showed him as a human being, and I think you're right. I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it? Right now in politics, people are so surprised when they're not mad. Like, the bar is so low, and then actually when you're dealing with a crisis situation like that, where something happens that could have been quite horrific, it shows the measure of the man, doesn't it? Keir's speech was absolutely packed out. We didn't manage to get into the main hall. We actually watched it here in this hotel that we're speaking in now on the TV, and... It was packed here too. Plenty of people seemed really happy about it. What was your you know, your first hot take on the speech? What do you think to it? So I thought it was really interesting was him actually talking a bit about life. And I know that sounds odd because you think, well, of course, politicians are talking about life. But just talking, I thought it was very powerful, particularly he was talking about all the things people haven't been able to do, all the kind of everyday little nice things that you do with the kids because of the cost of living crisis. And I thought that was a very powerful motif, actually, that just... Life isn't very fun at the moment for people. It doesn't have pleasure in it. And yet one of the things about a better society is people being able to enjoy being around each other. There's actually a very famous um, William Morris kind of quote about that. And William Morris's ideas, you know, Walton say, man's, of course, I have to quote him about the pleasure in life and that being something meaningful that you should strive for. Um, so I thought that was very powerful, that just people's lives have been ground down 
by austerity and ground down by this government and the contrast between a government in waiting that wants to do something about that and a government that frankly didn't care. Was it a shame that Keir did have to bring up just quite a lot of just how how negative things are and the way that the, the Tories have ran the country into the ground? That obviously, he's looking to the future, but unfortunately, that means having to dwell quite a lot on just how things are right now. And I've noticed a lot of the conversations around the conference, I've been surprised at how little there has been discussion of the Tories, but Keir had to, had to sort of go there. Is that a little bit of a, a shame to have to do that in a way? No, I think you have to be honest with people about the scale of the challenge. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. The Tories showed themselves up in Manchester last week. Even, you know, good Conservatives I know who I talked to were embarrassed by that conference. But showing that you get it and you get why that's frightening, it's not funny, and therefore you've got a plan for what you're going to do to fix it, is what people need to hear, because right now hope is pretty thin on the ground. I thought, as I say, Keir was showing he gets that just that everyday experience of life being grinding and and not being able to go all right you know (laughs) you've got a kid who's annoying you or kind of acting up okay if you behave well you can have a chocolate bar because you're thinking i can i really afford that that'll hit home for a lot of people having a plan not just to be able to put a bit more money in your pocket but to fundamentally sort out the problems underneath it it's what people really want the humanizing side i think i agree i think it's great that he spoke around that but on the the policy substance did you feel there was was enough there and did it feel to you the specifics, is it starting to, to build enough? Because it still felt a lot of it has been vibe. There's been vibe of what we want to do, but not necessarily tons and tons of specifics quite yet. So I thought the fact that he was talking about housing was really important because housing is at the heart of so many of the inequalities in our society. Like my community, Walthamstow, has the ninth highest level of child poverty in the country and it's house prices. It's the cost of housing that is pushing people out of the area because you can't pay your rent and you certainly can't pay your childcare. To have a plan to build more housing means everything to a lot of people and to have housing that people can genuinely afford. You know, he talked about why it mattered to him and his family growing up and I think a lot of people will connect with that. I think one of the challenges we've got right now, I mean, look, six weeks ago, HS2 was a given. Now the whole thing is up in the air. One of the things I really worry about in politics often is like, yeah, we used to think thing, things can only get better. Things can still get a lot worse. I just worry about what else Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman and all these guys will do in office in the coming months because I think it's pretty clear to most of us that the election probably isn't immediately on the cards. So one of the challenges is, look, you might think right now these are things that you can do. God knows what mess will be in in another nine months to be able to be sure about what else you can do. I would rather that we under-promise and over-deliver than tell people we can make it all fine and perfect and wonderful and then have to say, actually, we can't do this now because this has happened. Like HS2, the things the government are doing now will mean that any decision that a Labour government could make in nine months would be very different. Uh, is it hard for people like Starmer and yourself and your colleagues to rebuild that trust in politics when you are just dealing with such bad faith actors on the other side? You know, what can you actually do to cement the fact that people will truly believe there will be a difference to that? It's an absolutely fair challenge. I mean, look, you can go back to Hogarth and people didn't really trust politicians, but I think we are all now at a new low where absolutely people say you're all the same and they see the antics of Boris Johnson in office. I mean, I thought, again, Keir talking about what happened during Partygate, for so many people that was the final straw about what happens when people get into office. So you're right, it's hard to rebuild trust with people. It's hard to show people that you're serious. I think that's why it matters. You talk about it being a vibe, but I think people understanding your motivation for doing it and putting yourself up there. I get a lot of people saying to me all the time, I couldn't do what you do. 
And that makes me really sad because everybody should be able to do what we do. That's the point about a democracy and representation. So if people think that this is a job that they couldn't or wouldn't want to do because they think either you have to be a certain type of character that you probably wouldn't want to go down the pub with or you couldn't trust or has, you know, outside interests that aren't in the public interest, that's really toxic. And you're right, winning people's trust back on that isn't going to be done by one single individual. It's going to be done by the hard yards of showing what you can do and I think crucially what you can't do. I mean, actually, one of the stories about this conference is as much about people saying, no, we're not going to be able to do this because it is a mess and we've got to prioritise. I think that's one of the ways you win by trust. It's like in anything in life, isn't it, is you be painfully truthful about the scale of the challenge and what you won't do as much as what you will do. It's part of the challenge teaching people in a way, and that I don't want that to sound like a patronising thing, but to show people that democracy and our politics is something you really have to interact with. And maybe it's felt like in this current government we've had that they don't want to interact with the ordinary voter. I'm going to disagree with you because I always believe the problem is never the public, the problem is the politicians. See, right now this government thinks terrible things of the British public. This, this government thinks the British public wants somebody to hate wants somebody to look down on, wants somebody to make them feel better about how rubbish life is by going, well, at least I'm not a trans person or a refugee or a woman or somebody who's struggling to get a job. That isn't who the British public are. The British public are decent, well-meaning people. Of course, times are hard and they see changes happening all around and that could be really uncertain. And absolutely, some people have more opportunities than others. But I think most people in this country want the best out of each other. So when our politics acts on the lowest of the low, that's really insulting to the British public. But the insult is coming from the politicians. It's not the public who need to be taught about British politics. It's British politics that needs to rise to the challenges of the British public. With that, I mean, the culture war issues and all that sort of thing, something that clearly the, the Tories have gone on to. And it seems like, you, you know, Labour doesn't want to get, to get dragged there. Is there a concern that it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult not to when it's just constantly what the Tories are saying over and over and over and how how do you feel you can you can handle that so i am genuinely concerned about the risk of a right-wing toxic divisive cultural war across our country and i think it's already happening in some places um i keep saying to people you know what would we do if andrew tate decided that he didn't like the labor party because in my local community i hear from a lot of young men how powerful they think andrew tate is I don't take from that that we should be telling those young people off. I think we need to do better by them. We need to offer an alternative understanding about how the world works and an alternative understanding about what role and value we place on them in our societies. It's not just because Suella Braverman is in a position of power as the Home Secretary. It's that from that platform, she is normalising a hatred and division and, and a distance between people. We have to do more than just say that's wrong. We have to show in the ways in which we want why diversity matters. You know, countries that are more diverse are more resilient. Everybody benefits. It's about how we can rise together. I think what you saw today and how Keir talked about service, that's quite a powerful talk. It's not about an individual kind of consumer relationship. You know, you pick this political party off the shelf. It's about actually how we are all better off when we work together. Undoubtedly, that is a really hard argument to have right now in that current ferocious kind of toxic mix. I mean, we had some of those people outside our conference here today but that's why people like me need to step up and make that argument, because otherwise we're asking the poorest and most vulnerable people in our society to bear the brunt of this 
And actually, it doesn't stop there. Look, I'm the chair of the Labour Movement for Europe. I, I've spent a lot of my time campaigning about our relationship with Europe. And now people in Parliament are risking our membership of the European Court of Human Rights, even though they won the argument on Brexit. Like, they don't stop with this hatred. It just keeps coming in waves and waves and waves. So, yeah, you have to stand up to it. But you have to stand up to it with a message which isn't about, no, no, you know, these people should win and those people should lose. It's about the better world that comes when people work together. When it comes to Europe, what sort of conversations around that have you been having at conference? So I've been taking part in a lot of debates in this conference. And absolutely, a year ago, there just wasn't the level of interest. Our rooms were packed. People really want to talk about not whether we should rejoin the European Union or how you make Brexit work, because they recognise both of those things aren't achievable. They want to talk about what we could do to help all those people struggling with the impact of Brexit. I think that's a function of a couple of things. I mean, one, I think that now the kind of impact of COVID is receding. We can see more clearly just how damaging Brexit is. I think also there's a sense that that damage is going to get a lot worse. One of the things that's been really focusing a lot of our conversations on the fringes has been the fact that next year, every business that wants to import anything into the UK is going to have to pay £43 a time for every single consignment. For most small businesses, that's just game over. And I think there's a real thing for us, and certainly for me as Chair of the Labour Movement of Europe, is what can we do to give those businesses hope? If we're not going to get a general election and a new government for a little while yet, six to nine months, and you are one of those businesses facing all those extra costs, already seeing the impact of Brexit, worrying about the economy, worrying about your ability to get workers, do you hold on? You don't hold on in the Labour Party's like, actually, yeah, what we want to do is go into a long debate about having another referendum and a constitutional challenge and then 10 years of negotiation. But you might hold on if we've got a plan for what we could do to reduce the paperwork that you've got. I keep saying we're the reds against red tape now. It's what I've been really inspired by is across the country, everyone's like, yeah, that is the conversation we need to be having. Um, it's a competing time because I think people would understand that Europe doesn't come up as a top issue anymore in the way it used to, you know. 2016 to 2019 is all everyone ever wants to talk about. But what's coming up is the impact of it. Conversation is happening at the Labour Party conference. It's going to happen in the country in the coming months as well. And obviously, as chair of the Labour Movement for Europe, I'm going to hope that we can lead that all the way through to the manifesto process. You sound really pragmatic when you're talking about things like Europe and generally Labour policy feels that sort of way is there a hard sell in doing that sort of don't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good and that we just need some things to be to be better right now whether that's completely perfect but just better i think it's probably a sad reflection on the state of british politics that the idea of practicality is seen as a negative one rather than absolutely what you should ask of your politicians like we need to show that we can do the things that we're saying that we can do and what i'm trying to set out there like We've been spending all conference trying to get people to talk about something called the Pan-European Mediterranean Convention, which, I mean, if you've heard about it, it's probably because you've suffered insomnia, so you need to stay awake at night. But it is something that would help reduce some of the paperwork that British businesses are facing. So it's a very practical way that we could help them now to keep going. Elsewhere on the fringes, then, what have you been talking about? What are some of the priorities you've had at conference? Well, so I'm going to say as chair of the Labour Movement for Europe, that's been my dominant priority. But I've also been doing a lot of work on how we get more mums involved in politics and childcare, because childcare is another great example of an issue that just resonates with so many people because the cost of it is so exorbitant. And it is mums that have been hit particularly by the fact that it's so expensive, it makes no sense to work. But also it means that a lot of mums aren't involved in politics because our politics isn't set up 
for women who've had babies, literally. I know that firsthand from my own experience, but today we had a big meeting with you know, women who are currently pregnant, who are elected representatives, having to negotiate their own maternity cover because none exists at all. And they want to be good politicians, but they also want to be good parents. It's a good example of an area where there's like real talent and potential that we're not tapping into to help rebuild our country because of antiquated laws that were built for a time when it was inconceivable that a woman, a lady, let alone a lady with a baby, could actually be in charge. So Keir Starmer spoke about getting Tory voters to vote for Labour. So let's do a little bit of a thought experiment here. Imagine I am someone who voted Conservative at the last election. You know, politics relies on conversations. What would you say what would you say to me to convince me that I should, whenever the election comes around, be voting for Labour? Well, first of all, I'm saying I'm sorry we lost your vote in 2019 because no voter is ever wrong in how they vote. So I say it's only us as politicians. We need to work harder at convincing you that we've got a plan for the future. Um, I think in some ways it probably depends on where you live because I think we've got to recognise this country is very unequal in a geographical sense as well. And I say that as somebody who represents a London constituency, but I know, as I said earlier, we only rise when we rise together. So we need to invest in every part of this country. What that looks like will necessarily be different. And one of the other themes that's coming out of this conference is about devolution and actually saying, rather than us coming and doing things to you, we need to do this with you. So whether it is about where that new housing goes or how we get more young people into technical colleges so that we're not wasting young people's potential because the academic route didn't work for them. I think for the first time, genuinely recognising there is a mission which is not just to go back to the status quo, but actually to build back something better and more meaningful. So... Yeah, this is the first generation of young people who are going to have worse outcomes than their parents. That's really damning for the current government. But it's not enough for me to say that's a damning indictment of them. We have to show how we would do something better. I think that is the foundation. I know there's still a lot more to come about what that might look like. And I would be asking every voter, whether they voted Labour, whether they voted Conservative, whether they voted for a third party, to be part of that conversation about how we can do that. Because I don't actually think it comes from the top anymore. It comes from the networks of the communities that we build together saying, these are the foundations. How do you want to make it work in your area?